I'm Jeffrey Weitz. I'm professor of medicine and biochemistry and biomedical sciences at McMaster University and president of the ISTH. Uh, earlier this week, I presented a late-breaking abstract and had a simultaneous uh, publication in the New England Journal of Medicine about uh, abelisumab, a factor 11 inhibiting antibody that uh, and, and this study evaluated uh, abelisumab in three different doses compared with enoxaparin for prevention of post-operative venous thromboembolism in patients undergoing elective knee replacement surgery. We studied about 400 patients. They were randomized to one of three doses of abelisumab, either 30 milligrams, 75 milligrams, or 150 milligrams given as a single intravenous infusion four to eight hours after surgery, or as a control, they received enoxaparin 40 milligrams subcutaneously once daily. And the primary uh, efficacy outcome was venous thromboembolism. That was the composite of documented symptomatic uh, VTE events or asymptomatic deep vein thrombosis detected by mandatory venography on day 10, plus or minus two days. And the principal safety outcome was the composite of major and clinically relevant non-major bleeding. So what did we find? We found that the two higher doses of abelismab significantly reduced the risk of VTE from 22% with enoxaparin down to 5% and 4% with the 75 and 150 milligram per kilogram dose respectively. And this uh, dramatic 80% reduction in the risk of VTE was not associated with an increase in the rate of bleeding. There were no bleeds with enoxaparin and none with the highest dose of abelismab. So where do we go from here? What are these, what does this information tell us? So, you know, if we step back and we think about where we've gone with anticoagulation therapy over the last uh, 10 years, we've seen the replacement of vitamin K antagonists like warfarin with the direct oral anticoagulants agents like uh, rivaroxaban and apixaban for many indications for treatment of venous thromboembolism for stroke prevention, atrial fibrillation. And there's no question that the direct oral anticoagulants are an advance over the vitamin K antagonists. But we mustn't forget that still the major side effect of the direct oral anticoagulant is bleeding. And in our atrial fibrillation uh, patients, if we look at the randomized trials, the rates of major bleeding in our elderly atrial fibrillation uh, patients given the direct oral anticoagulant, still about two to 3% per year. And if we add up major and clinically relevant non-major bleeding, the rates get up to 10 to 12%. And this is a problem because we know in contemporary registries that still at least 20 to 30% of eligible atrial fibrillation patients are not being given anticoagulant prophylaxis because in large part, a fear of bleeding. And in addition, when the direct oral anticoagulants are prescribed, there's an inappropriate overuse of the low-dose regimens, I think because physicians are afraid of bleeding. So if we had safer anticoagulants, I think we could have 
greater penetration of treating our most vulnerable patients. And factor 11 has the potential to be a safer target than factor 10A or thrombin. Factor 11 is positioned upstream in the coagulation system in the intrinsic pathway. And as it turns out for hemostasis, where tissue factor in the adventitia of the blood vessel, which is it's present in high concentrations and it induces explosive thrombin generation. There's very little need for factor 11. But thrombosis, which occurs inside the vessel, is triggered by low concentrations of tissue factor. And with low concentrations of tissue factor, the initial burst of thrombin feeds back to activate factor 11. And that feedback activation loop is very important for amplification and for thrombus growth and stabilization. And if you can interrupt that, that uh, process, you can attenuate arterial and venous thrombosis. So it's possible that by targeting factor 11, we can uncouple hemostasis and thrombosis, and we can get that holy grail of anticoagulation where we can attenuate thrombosis with little or no disruption of hemostasis. Now, if we move back to the knee replacement surgery patients, I mean, there's really little of an unmet need for thromboprophylaxis in those patients, although it's attractive that a single intravenous injection of abilasumab could give you a month's worth of protection. But where are we going next? Well, with abilasumab, there's a study now ongoing with two different doses of abilasumab given once a month subcutaneously in patients with atrial fibrillation and abilasumab is being compared with rivaroxaban for stroke prevention. So there we'll see, an we'll have an opportunity to see how abilasumab compares with contemporary anticoagulation and oral agent uh, rivaroxaban. And once a month dosing could be very attractive because patients have to take uh, the current uh, direct oral anticoagulants once a day or twice a day. They often forget to take the medication. So compliance, adherence could be improved with a once monthly subcutaneous injection. And the other thing about an antibody is that you can dial out any drug-drug interactions. And still with um, the uh, direct oral anticoagulants in most widespread use like rivaroxaban and apixaban, there are potential for drug-drug interactions. So you can dial that out. And those drugs also accumulate in patients with renal impairment the antibodies aren't cleared by the kidneys. So you don't have to worry about renal function when dosing with an antibody. So that's one area where abilasumab is currently undergoing evaluation. And the other area where uh, starting in September, maybe October, we'll be launching two phase three studies comparing abilasumab with conventional anticoagulants for treatment of patients with cancer-associated venous thromboembolism. So the lower risk for bleeding patients with cancer-associated venous thrombosis will be randomized to abilasumab or to apixaban. And those at higher risk for bleeding will be randomized to abilasumab or to daltaparin, low molecular weight heparin. So I think in that setting where we know that cancer patients 
are at high risk for recurrent venous thromboembolus and also at high risk for bleeding. So an agent that can, again, uncouple thrombosis and hemostasis has the potential to be not only at least as effective, if not more effective, because you can give bigger doses, but also potentially safer than what we have now. So I think we're in a new era, you know, uh, 10 years ago, we were just launching the direct oral anticoagulants. They've taken over and as they are now starting to go generic, the cost of these agents is coming down. And there's no doubt that these are fantastic agents to manage many of our patients. But still we have patients who are vulnerable, who are at risk for bleeding and having the option of a safer anticoagulant and one that may be able to be given in different manner with once monthly injections would add to our armamentarium. And of course, abelacemab is only one of a family of factor 11 inhibitors that are being evaluated now in phase two uh, studies and starting phase three. Other agents include other parenteral uh, agents like other antibodies, an antisense oligonucleotide that reduces the hepatic synthesis of factor 11, or uh, small molecule inhibitors of factor 11A that like the direct oral anticoagulants can be given orally once or twice a day. So we're in an exciting phase. We've got uh, another generation of anticoagulants that, that are, are, are targeting a, a unique clotting factor, has the potential to decouple or uncouple thrombosis and hemostasis stay tuned for future developments. It's gonna be an exciting few years coming up. You know, a lot of people ask about uh, antidotes and especially if you have long acting agents, how do you, what do you do if someone needs urgent surgery or if someone uh, has uh, uh, multiple trauma and, 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 and needs to go to, uh, to, to surgery for that? And the, I think we can learn a lot. Abelacemab binds to factor 11 and blocks its activation by factor 12A or by thrombin. Essentially what it does is it paralyzes factor 11 and it renders the patient very much like a patient with congenital factor 11 deficiency. And what do we know about patients with congenital factor 11 deficiency? Well, these patients are protected from thrombosis. They are at lower risk than people with normal factor 11 levels, lower risk for venous thromboembolism, lower risk for ischemic stroke, less clear about whether their risk for myocardial infarction is lower. But we also know that they rarely have spontaneous bleeding. Unlike deficiencies of factor eight or factor nine, Patients with factor 11 deficiency, they don't have muscle or joint bleeds. They don't have intracranial bleeds. So they can undergo many surgical procedures without any intervention. And in Israel, where factor 11 deficiency is found in about one in 450 Ashkenazi Jews, there's a lot of experience with managing these patients. And rather than giving replacement, what's often given is uh, antifibrinolytic agents like tranexamic acid, and if needed, a very low dose, 10 to 20 micrograms per kilo of recombinant factor 7A to bypass the factor 11. 
So I think that management of uh, abelacemab-treated patients who have, require urgent surgery or who have uh, major trauma or who come in with a bleed can be mirrored on how we would manage the patients with congenital factor 11 deficiency. And we would be using tranexamic acid and antifibrinolytic, especially when bleeding is in the oropharynx, for example, or the GI tract, where there's a lot of fibrinolytic activity. And if you need to, low doses of factor uh, 7A, and it's been used successfully in Israel to take patients through cardiac procedures, you know, cardiac surgery procedures. And I think that would be the approach. And if you were really in trouble, you can use plasmapheresis to remove the antibody. But we're hoping that as a safer anticoagulant, the need for this intervention will be less. And remember that with the antisense oligonucleotide and with Asosumab, an antibody that inhibits factor 11A, a slightly different mechanism than abelacemab, we actually treated the patients before their knee surgery with these agents, and they went through the knee surgery and didn't have excessive bleeding, even though their factor 11 was inhibited. So it tells you that for many procedures, uh, many uh, types of surgeries, you probably don't need to do anything. So it'll be different than what we see with the uh, factor 10A or the thrombin inhibitors. Thank you very much.